As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And ladies and gentlemen, featuring special guest Michael Walker. Hey! <laughs> notes, I need them. Wait, you have notes? I do. Oh no. <laughs> How's everyone happened so far? Shucks, right? Here, Thank here. you, Quins. I did it all. <laughs> I, I, all these chairs, let me tell you. And boy, are my arms tired. <laughs> Yes, indeed. The Paragons have been absolutely outstanding. Thank you very much to all the crew. This is entirely sincere. We'll, we'll get to the audience pandering later. Uh, but uh, <laughs> on that topic, on your chairs, you ought to have found uh, Swag Bingo. This is the glorious return of Swag Bingo. As you hear various things that you might be expected to encounter in an ab average episode of So Very Wrong About Games, please cross them off. <laughs> If and when you develop an entire line, please go visit The rockin' one over there, who will rock <laughs> and show you some of the available prizes. But of course, I'm getting ahead of myself. This is So Very Wrong About Games. I'm one of your co-hosts, Mark Bigney. I'm Michael Walker, and we have our guest, Quinton Smith. Hello! Don't shut up and sit down! Now, we will be treating you to an actual audio podcast, but in addition to that, we have finally completed the full circle. Every board game critic aspires to be a board game designer. Every board game designer aspires to be a board game publisher. And we are here to announce the worldwide launch of the published version of Roll a Six, Win a Cookie. <laughs> Now, and indeed, those are some of the prizes that you will find if you complete. This, this one has been inspected for, uh, to avoid typos. There, have been, there will be no errata for this published version of Roll of Six, Win a Cookie. I have here also, just as a demonstration for those who are unfamiliar with the in-depth rules of the game, this is the pocket version of Roll of Six, Win a Cookie. And so uh, you and uh, Quinns can feel free to compete over there. <laughs> you, you just, just rolled won. a six. Yay! <laughs> Easy to play, hard to master. <laughs> I can't believe that cookie's just going to sit there. Now, <laughs> like you teased us with it. Now, it's just absolutely out of reach. Okay, look, the rules are simple. You win the cookie. What you do with the cookie is your own business. <laughs> I wasn't going to eat it in front of these masked people who are obeying the, the restrictions, Quinns. I wasn't going to flaunt the fact that we get to take off our masks. Some of us aren't monsters. Wow. <laughs> 
So this is a board gaming podcast about board games, also occasionally cookies. We are going to talk about the as-yet-unnamed retrospective intro segment, The Eurus. This is the game that we reviewed last year. We're also going to talk about the games we played this week. We're going to talk about the news and why it doesn't matter. And then our topic is going to be games that make you be mean. Because we, uh, we thought with the one of the nicest people in all of media here, why don't we talk about cruelty? So... <laughs> The as-yet-unnamed retrospective intro segment, the Eurus, is Hallertau, the Uwe Rosenberg worker placement game. Uh, have you played uh, Hallertau? I have indeed, but like it, it, it exists in my brain in a kind of morass of Uwe Rosenberg games because there's a, like, yeah. But as you talk about it, I will remember it is about managing a settlement in Germany's largest contiguous hop-growing region. Bingo, yes. Okay. It is, it's the one about farming and worker placement. <laughs> I have to imagine that someday you're going to breed wooden sheep on cards that are themselves special powers, and then the cycle will be complete, and Uwe Rosenberg will explode in a brilliant, brilliant corona of light or something. <laughs> have you played it since we reviewed it, Walker? Yes, we played it once. It's a great game. You have this massive cottage that sort of shifts like an earthquake <laughs> going across... Unlocking more points. I remember now. Unlocking yes. more points. And it, it changes up how it's not the usual sort of planting crops. He does change a lot of things up, but it's the usual sort of card focus. This one's a lot more card focused. There's several decks that you get to choose from. And even in those decks that you get to choose from, there's ways to supplement in other decks. The usual Europe ABC, take your module as you wish. Hallertau is not going to change anyone's mind. If you like Uwe Rosenberg games, you're probably going to like Hallertau, and if you don't like them, you probably won't. If you're the kind of player who likes uh, Agricola, but without all the randomness of those cards, stay away from Hallertau, because the cards do introduce a fair amount of randomness. I personally enjoy that part. Navigating a sea of chaos is one of the things I like doing on occasion, but if they, those really rub you the wrong way, Hallertau is probably going to annoy you more than a lot of his other games. Mm. I do remember. I remember now uh, it has a marvelous uh, system of uh, letting your fields lie fallow and being able to plant crops and let fields get better by not planting things Just in them, so. which means that the generation of more crops is based on a resource, which is fields, which is itself another Uwe Rosenberg resource. Finding new ways to squeeze new bucolic resources into his games. What a man. Precisely. <laughs> So that was Hallertau, designed by Uwe Rosenberg. I myself have played it several times. It's it's one of my favorites. I prefer Feast for Odin and Agricola, but I'm happy to play Hallertau. Anyone can holler my Tau at any time. <laughs> so, on to the games we played this week. Walker. Mark, I went back to the Siege of Rundar. This is a Reiner Knizia, sort of a co-op. Open the box, and there you have your castle that you have to defend. You're uh, flipping up cards to have the orcs attack, and then you're rolling dice. So it's, it really shows... Uh, sort of the crowd you're showing it to, whether they like uh, randomness or they don't, because you're getting random cards, you're rolling random dice, and you're losing a lot of the time. I've only won it once solo, and we've yet to win it after that. How come Walker gets to talk about losing a game all the time, and he doesn't get people crawling out of the woodwork to taunt them with his victories, pictures of the Rundar wins? <laughs> Whereas every time I talk about regicide, I get the tryhards coming out of the woodwork. Oh, wait, no, that was two in one sentence. Uh, crawling out of the woodwork, talking about how bad I am, and they win all the time without trying. It's, oh, yeah, we won regicide uh, the first time we tried it. And uh, specifically after hearing the So Very Wrong About Games podcast, we talked about it being tremendously difficult. And me and my team sailed through. Did we play the rules entirely correctly? We can't be sure, but I prefer to think that we're just better at games than you. And, and, and we may or may not have. I showed Regicide to Butterfly Babe for the first time on the, on the airplane ride here, and we may or may not have won on our second try. Wow. With it, someone who doesn't even play games before. Wow. Ed 2 Walker? 
<laughs> All that I can say is that this is my consolation. And right now, at this moment, I can definitely say that the Roland Bite is manifestly superior to all Roland Bites. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, The Siege of Rundar is published by Luna Nova, and it's a great production. Like I said, 3D fortress, catapults, siege towers, trolls. It's one of these things where you pull it out and you have too much fun playing and you forget to actually dig your tunnel escape. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those things where you have to force yourself to go after the victory conditions. You can just get distracted by toys and others, other, other yes, stuff. Yes, unfortunately that is, I think, a detriment to it. You have to force yourself to do the boring thing. <laughs> well, it's like, okay, well, I got two dig cards. I could go fight with all these like cool dice, but I guess I'll go over here and, and dig because that's what we're supposed to do. Yeah. But... I, I still love it. It's staying in the collection. And and Huey, even, we had to go to the very back because we forced ourselves to put it on the back of the shelf. <laughs> because every time we say, what are we going to play? It's always Siege of Rundar. So we put it away at the back so we couldn't get to it. But this time... And then, ironically, you dug your way towards it. Well, it was one of these things where it was... <laughs> something was scheduled. It was like, okay, well, I'm too stressed to play a four-hour game. I have too much to do. Let's just have something that's fun. And Siege of Rundar came up to mind. And so we crawled back and it just going to throw this out there is there a designer the three of us sort of like somewhat tired men can think of is there a designer out there who has a greater mastery of like you know truly intelligent like i mean that's intelligent is such an awful word so let's ignore i said that but like ranikinitsia's mastery of like tremendously canny sharp designs and also just really goofy fun roller dice like play with a toy like can we think of anyone who is equally good at those two sort of like Polar opposites of board games. No one comes close. I was talking the other day about how there was a heavy Euro game called um, Envelopes of Cash, which manages to combine satire and resource management. Mm. And the intersection of sort of whimsy and satire with heavy Euro yeah. is the kind of thing that Vlada Kavatel is really kind yes, of cornered actually, the market no, on. That's right? another great example. But in terms of, of intelligently combining that degree of a range, mm. you know, both Llama Dice and Tigers and Euphrates, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. yeah it, it's just not... No one else comes close, I don't think. Some that, some, some that do it the same in the same game, right? There's Jim Felly who has gorging frogs. That's true. You know, tied into like this very, you know, intricate sort of beat each other up type game. Yes, and when and if Jim Felly designs a Euro game, we can absolutely put him in the same category. <laughs> <laughs> so, Quinns, what have you played last week? Ooh, in the last week, I have been working through uh, Stefan Feld's City series. Mm. Uh, Queen Games uh, republished uh, Bruges and... Uh, no, give me a hand here. This was, it was, it's a old, it's an old game, reprint of an old game. Um, Name a city in the Near East, odds it, are good. It's called Amsterdam and it used to, oh no, you know what, Macau, there we go, got there in the end. Uh, however, the game I wanted to talk about today was um, the, the within uh, the City series published by Queen Games, um, there is a new Stefanfeld design called Marrakesh. And it's very large, it's kind of fabulous looking, it's a Queen Games product, so everything's thick and cardboard and chunky and tiles. But it is a Eurogame set in Marrakesh, uh, where, with a truly kind of peculiar structure. Okay, I'm going to do my absolute level best to describe this in a podcast. This is going to be monumentally challenging. So, you are all developing the city of Marrakesh. You are politicians or entrepreneurs or Marrakeshian go-getters. I'm not entirely sure. It's Stefan Feld. He doesn't care about themes, and that's fine. Um, but what you have in front of you is a large, ornate player board using the brand new technology of double-layer punch board. So, you can kind of socket things into it. I know. Wait, wait, wait. Two layers? Two layers of punch board, baby. Wow. Uh, so, you've got to think that it's like... You've, got, you've basically got a player board covered in divots that you can socket things into. Um, and I mean, like, quite literally, probably something somewhere in the region of 140 divots for small hexagonal pieces on this player board, divided into 12 colors. So you've got, like, a green area, that's where you grow your dates, and there are 12 hexagonal divots in it. 
and there's like tons of different colored areas. What players then do, get ready, is players select a number of these colored hexagons, which are called keshis, little wooden pieces, and they all put them forward. All the keshis that you all choose get put into a dice tower, a kind of cube tumbling thing. They all he, fall, he loves those, yeah. They all fall out, and then players will then draft. So it's like, oh, maybe you're drafting first. Okay, I'll take the two red keshis that we all put into the tower. You then socket those onto your board, and the number of keshis you have in a particular color, let's stick with dates because it's, it's relatively characterful. So if you have like four green keshis in the green date growing section, when you do the date action, you get four dates. So it's multiplicative. You are slowly over the course of the game plugging more and more and more. It's almost as if you're like a switchboard operator, you know, like, but in a Euro game mode, you're going plug, 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 um, and pursuing certain areas of the game. And in doing this, you are trying to, um, my goodness, it's a Stephen Bell game. You're trying to move a boat <laughs> down a river. You are, <laughs> you are trying to collect scrolls, which have like, you know, scoring multipliers on them. Of course. You're trying to advance up a staircase, uh, which is <laughs> with, with the boat. Uh, the boat is separate, but, okay. uh, but you know, the, the staircase is just the boat with the serial numbers filed up. Um, you're trying to walk up a mosque, which is just the same as the staircase. Um, ultimately, I'm being, you know, like slightly goofy, but it is really strong and it has an incredible sense of, um, uh, like a lot of old fell designs, there's a sense that in your first moves, you do almost nothing. And then there's a right. huge, beautiful sense of escalation as you build up. And then also, no matter how fast your engine seems to get, as you approach the end of the game, you realize you've achieved nowhere near as much as you were hoping to. <laughs> Um, but yes, it's, it's interesting to have Queen Games publishing a Stefan Feld game, because even though, like, the theme is kind of drab, Queen Games have made everything very large, very chunky, very plastic, very, like, almost, and I don't mean this in a bad way, Fisher-Price designed Euro game, like, okay. like colored blocks sure. that you're inserting into other things. Um, I did enjoy it a great deal. I think at $120, the Shadow of Down review is going to be like wincingly referring to that price point. My goodness. Yeah. But on the, but you know, credit where it's due, Queen Games do publish in Germany, but they do also uh, have on their boxes now a kind of environmentally conscious, um, emblem. Yes. Uh, trying to do, uh, so sort of sustainable forestry, which is like a questionable concept, but I believe they are working. Are we talking like carbon offsets or are we talking about a genuine commitment to making sure the supply chain makes a difference? Well, Cause, the, um, hmm. the, Cause I mean, box emblems are cheap. Yeah. No, I certainly don't know. And I don't know to what extent this is greenwashing, but I yeah. do know there's a picture of a tree on the box and that makes me feel better about it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so that was Marrakesh, uh, published by Queen Games. Is that is it apt to change anyone's mind with respect to Feld designs? Because, oh, absolutely not. Yeah, no. it's like, unless you really want to pay more money for your Stephen Feld games. I, I just find all of them so relentlessly interchangeable. Very often. Yeah, the thing, the funny thing about the City series is that because you know you, Queen Games sent us you know all four the the first four games in the series, and it's really peculiar playing four Stephen Feld games back to back and seeing how much, especially when they're by the same publisher, right? Um, with the same theme of cities like it we the video reviewer writing is going to be very it, we're, we're cracking up writing it because um it's just arcane playing a game and then another game which is kind of similar but different but not really and right. then doing it again and again um but all the same i i might have to keep all four because they're four games in a set like sure. that is that hasn't almost like opioid kind of appeal like yes. i can't get away from when it's up on the shelf right it, yeah, yeah they're all numbered and yeah all look pretty. and you know what the, the, the it would be one thing if the worst game in the series was number four because then i could get rid of that it'd be fine but it's number three which is new york <laughs> so what am i going to do have one two and four no, no. So, so i have to keep all four in my collax oh, yeah nightmare but I, um, I spent a very long time of my life holding on to way too many avalon hill titles just because of how lovely the bookshelf series sits. Oh, so yeah. i'm getting some nods of recognition from the crowd people have been there Solidarity. So this just ties into a game that I have here, Mark. It's called Endless Winter Paleo-Americans. 
It's a new Kickstarter that just funded. So I got a chance to, I got it just before I left. And it's very much doing everything. You have uh, uh, deck, uh, sorry, uh, deck building. You have area majority. You have a spatial puzzle thing going over here. You have worker placement also. So you're placing a worker and you're charging them up with your cards that you use for deck building. And the actions that you're taking from the worker placement is letting you collect animals. It's also a set collection too, Mark, because you got to cover all of it. <laughs> do I? Do I have to? You re- they really do. So you're grabbing animals. Allow me to interrupt you collection. and remind you that you're not the boss of me. <laughs> and, and you have this big hex mac where you're putting out tents and, and stuff. And it just does everything. I'm just wondering if it's yet another, you know, mechanism too far. But mm. I, that's all I've been thinking of the last couple of days is getting back and playing this again. I really enjoyed it. The art, the 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 two these all this also has two layer boards. Oh yeah, everything has two layer boards. We're in an era of two layer boards. Very nice. Voidfall promises triple layer boards. You know what I'm into is like never mind the two layer boards. People are now realizing you can do abacus like mechanics yes. because you slot something into a two layer board. You can slide it around like it's true. smooth as silk. Um, so, but I wanted to ask, what does the endless winter aspect of endless winter Paleo Americans? In fact, what's the Paleo Americans side of? It? Yeah, I, I was thinking about that as well. Is does any of this feel like this theme? And the answer is no. Oh, <laughs> okay. The artwork does pull you in. You have you have your tribal leader, and he gives you special abilities, and 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 your huts and your villages that you're putting out, and that part of the animals that you're collecting are all prehistoric. You've mentioned animals. the animals twice. There must be a big part of this. No, uh, they're really not. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they, well, they have the double thing. They're coming for set collection, or you can and or you can tap them, and they're not part of the set collection anymore. And you get food and other bonuses. So there's like so that sort of trade off, at least mm. with them. But anyway, looking forward to playing it again. I'm waiting for a deck building slash worker placement game to really sing for me. I, I've I've found them varying degrees of. I mean, they're fine. Got one. What about uh, Great Western Trail? Great Western Trail, I, I wouldn't characterize as worker de- placement at this point. Oh, I was about to say, putting characterize it as deck building. Yeah, no, I mean, so you're, you're building the rondelle and you're moving the yeah, worker yeah, around. Yeah. Absolutely. There is a worker and the worker is placed, <laughs> but I mean, that can describe about 90% of games, generally speaking. No, I, I really like Great Western Trail, and that's an example of how the deck building and the board positioning really seems to dovetail in terms of delivering the, the cows to the alien overlords, because that's how we play the game. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm referring specifically to Lost Runes of Arnak and oh, yeah. uh, Dune. Oh, yeah, no, we didn't like, um, well, actually, our team was divided on uh, Dune... Is it Dune Imperium? The Dune Imperium, yes. It is one of the many uh, Imperium colon or colon Imperium games released over the course of the past couple of years helping no one. Do not colonize your... No, wait. Do not... Wait. Hang on. I was trying to make a colon joke and just got tangled up in... <laughs> you got uh, tangled up in some sort of intestinal fortitude yeah, I did, test. Actually, yeah. yeah, You know what? Lost Runes of Arnak really threw our team as well because that game is so well liked. It is extremely... Well, so is Dune Imperium. They're both yes. very, very well liked. They're fine. Um, I mean, Dune Imperium I find over long and I, uh, Dune have, has, has no uh, appeal for me as a theme. Mm. And so I was wondering if that was was primarily holding me back but uh you know if, if you go out on, uh, in, into that uh, you'll see lots of dune imperium getting played it's very popular yeah and I, the enthusiasm is no doubt sincere and the intersection of deck building and worker placement seems like it could generate something special and i keep waiting for that to click together mm. in a really interesting way but that i guess that's just me uh i i know i'm getting distracted whereas you two you know usually like hum your way through this like, tremendously well we're professionals quince you are <laughs> <laughs> citation needed the uh, <laughs> But um, no, what I was going to say is, like, I wanted to mention on someone's podcast that uh, the board game industry seems to be like waking up in this sort of like long hungover state and slowly coming to the realization that actually, despite 10 years of trying, the best deck building game 
is Dominion. <laughs> <laughs> and like Dominion sort of like coming out again with like a slightly refined edition. Everyone I speak to, like who's in the industry, designers and people tend to say like, yeah, no, we haven't actually beaten it like since, since Dominion. It's, and I, where do you two land on that? I really like the pick up and play aspect of your rotating market of cards model, mm-hmm. a la Ascension, a la Shards of, a la uh, oh, sure. uh, uh, Star Realms or any number of realms. Aeon's uh, End? Aeon's... Aeon's End doesn't do it for me, and I'm very unpopular for that. Re- Actually, no. I'm very unpopular for a number of reasons, but my, my dislike <laughs> of Aeon's End might be one of them. Let's not get into that. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll be talking with my father later on today anyway. Um, <laughs> the... Dominion, I will, I will agree with you that Dominion, that the quality of Dominion's design space has yet to be touched. Yeah. Uh, and the relentless quality of the expansions over the course of the past 10 yes, years yes. has been incredibly impressive and daunting. Mm. It is, I do not tend to appreciate the fact that you look at the tableau, make your decisions, and then the game plays itself. Yes. That is broadly speaking my issue with the game, but I understand why people enjoy Dominion so much. Mm. Uh, the, the way the cards combo together, I like the way how Clank does it with the color coding, and, and Charge of Infinity has also picked that up. And I really right. like how that's been incorporated. And it's something that Dominion doesn't do. I know they have the preset decks that you can sort of put out, and they sort right. of work together, but I like it when it's like set into the game. I am quite looking forward to the, uh, the is it the new game from, I want to say Richard, I want to say Richard Garfield, but it's Clank, but you're a vampire running out in Ah, uh, yes. This isn't out yet, um, but it's, uh, does anyone remember the name of it? No... No, none of us remember the name. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so this, it's it's Clank, but rather than going into a dungeon, you are a vampire going out at night and have to be back before day, which I prefer as a... Because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a naturally brooding and gothic man. Um, I was just thinking that about you. I know, you've, you've always said... But backstage, you're saying, Quince, how are you so brooding and gothic? Uh, no, anyway, sorry, that's not a point that's going anywhere. I just wanted to mention it because I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Uh, I was excited about getting able to play Sidereal Confluence at the con. And mm. indeed, much like Dune Imperium, if you walk out those doors, you're going to see lots of people playing Sidereal Confluence. At one point, my understanding was there were four simultaneously. Stop shaking your head, Walker. <laughs> Sorry. It was the flight, Mark. The flight. Walker, let me tell you a little story, a little parable about gatekeepers and gatekeeping. And what you're doing now is you're yucking my yum. And I'm, oh, somebody apparently has gotten bingo. Some joy in the world that Walker wants to relentlessly suck out of. Oh, wow. How dare... What was I talking about? Oh, yeah, something happy and fun, not Walker. <laughs> so, Sidereal Confluence, understandably... Like, you can feel this pent-up demand for it. It's not really a very good pandemic game, getting together six to nine of your friends to haggle over cubes. Imagine play-by-email, play by Sidereal Confluence. People do it with great... Diff- well, they, play, they played over Discord. Uh, oh, I've, okay. I've heard of people playing over Discord and Tabletop Simulator, you know, epic tales of nine-hour uh, arrangements. Imagine everyone, like, fighting for room in the chat by typing in, in, like, all caps, then all caps and bold, like, please need organic cube, you know, like like, a, like an eBay uh, grammar, you know? <laughs> if I couldn't get my way by screaming louder, I don't know how I would navigate the world. <laughs> that is actually, honestly, my problem with the game. The, I would play Sidereal Confluence more if it weren't for the fact that... Um, that game does give an advantage to whoever is loud and puts the most energy in. To the bully, yes. Yes, gotcha. no, it does, yeah. yeah. I couldn't agree. Why? Yeah, I, 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 you really, you plucked that from nowhere. I wonder where that came from. I, I didn't understand what my problem with the game was at first, and then you so eloquently you know, phrased there we it. Go, I've yeah. never said anything like that before. No, Walker's problem with the game is that the trade phase starts, he literally crosses his arms, leans back in the chair, and at the end of the game, wonders why he didn't get very far. I've seen it happen over and over. No, I, I will agree with you that it is absolutely uh, there's a first mover advantage in the context of the trade phase there's mm. a scarce number of resources it's and it's not a 
about getting the best deal. It's about getting the most deals possible. Yes, correct. It's been described very accurately by the designer, Tausity Dykeman, as a cooperative game in which whoever cooperates best wins. And if you can't make the first mover advantage, if you're particularly soft-spoken, if you're nervous, shy, again, playing yeah. among strangers, I can completely understand why some people wouldn't want to do that. Uh, and if you're not particularly inclined to do that. However, it is not about haggling which is nice because I played two to three hour games of haggling. They're draining. Mm. They just feel like you, you're constantly. And it, what, another thing that's great about it and very evocative about some of the things that I hold about some economic models, it's not really a zero-sum game economy. It is absolutely the case that everyone profits together if good deals are made. There are some exceptions, of course, but... It would be nice if it had a... Sorry to interrupt. It would no, be nice if it had a Galaxy Trucker kind of scoring system of like, you know, because Galaxy Trucker's manual says... Did you make a dollar? Yes. Congratulations, you have Your won. goal was to make money, and you did. Who cares if someone made more money than you? I, Absolutely. That would, I think Sidereal Confluence would really benefit from that. It's strange. I, like Looking back on it, most of the tables of Sidereal Confluence I played, people are talking about the stores like, oh, good job. Especially new players, you know, if they can crack 20. Mm. That's a difficult thing to do in your first play. Well done. Everyone's very supportive. It generates a very supportive environment, generally. I don't know why you keep saying the word bully walker. <laughs> why do you, like, no, because a bully's not going to get very far in Sidereal Confluence, in my experience. If you talk quickly... And loudly, sure. Yeah. That doesn't make you... If you talk you... over people... Yes. <laughs> if you interrupt Who's this them you while <laughs> looking at me directly? <laughs> this, is, this is the part, I think, where Quinn starts to question his participation in this particular event. But... <laughs> yeah, from the cookie onwards, Quinn thinks it's just been downhill. Sidereal <laughs> Confluence is a joy. And I had a great time getting back to it. It's the kind of classic asymmetric game where you want to play that faction again because yes. you now want to explore their depths, but you also want to try the new shiny thing because they're all so interesting. Yep. I think I'm just now ready for the expansion. The expansion bifurcation is, is slowly trickling out because this, in this game in particular, I, I finally felt like I could, you know, see the codes in the matrix because I understand who won and why. I, yeah, I know, I'm looking at you. And it was <laughs> because some factions are starving for some resources. I came in second place because I was starving for white and people were willing to give me white. The faction who won loved ships. They had a lot of ships. They ended up doing well. This yeah. is, this is minimalize, minimizing a lot of gameplay, of course. But understanding some of these nuances and being able to look back and see why it happened the way that it did, that, that indicates to me that I'm finally no longer at the incredibly inept, filthy casual level and I'm ready to start perhaps growing up uh, to, to, to being a, a basic grown up in the game. So. I, I still prefer Sidero Conference thinking of it on like, you know, very childlike simplistic terms and I'll say this all the time but my favorite race are the squids who, um, you know, can offer converters to, like better converters. The, to the charitable space whales. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. but but my friend, <laughs> the, I love this comparison but the squids are basically, they win the game if they think of it as trying to sell gym memberships. <laughs> That you just, you want to give people these things. Doesn't matter. That's if you terrible. Them, you tell them, like, you'll definitely use this. This is great. And that's so exploitive, though. <laughs> how dare you, how dare you, how dare you spend it that way? My favorite are the Yangi because the Yangi are unable to act autonomously. They have to form collectives to do anything. And so they view the rest of the universe as monsters because they can just act autonomously and do whatever they want. Like, wait, you could just hit somebody and no one would stop you? It's like, well, I mean, maybe. It's like, that's terrible. I don't trust you. It's great. It's terrific. Yeah, lovely game. Truly great game. Really, real surprising game when it arrived as well. And it was a great year. That that year was Spirit Island, Sidereal Confluence, Guards of Atlantis. Eternal. Spirit Island came out in the same year as Sidereal Confluence? Yes. Wow. It was a fraught top ten as far as I was concerned. <laughs> Walker, what else you play? Well, I already talked about Regicide, so I just want to say that it's put out by Badgers from Mars. And introducing to someone who doesn't play a lot of games, showing them what just a standard deck of cards can do. Yeah. And it takes such a small space, because like I said, we played it on the plane. And we know all know that the, the plane space on airplane seats are gigantic. <laughs> anyway, we all had a great time. Caverna. Caverna has come out with some 
big expansions. Another expansion is coming out this year. It is now in uh, alpha on a certain website because I'm not supposed to talk about alphas. But anyway, it's going to be out on <laughs> alpha on Board Game Arena. This is new- <laughs> that lasted all of two seconds, by the way. Where's my check? Um, another UA Rosenberg. We've already talked about UA Rosenberg. This is put out by Lookout Games. And we had a big renaissance sort of in Kingston with our local group on, on Agricola and and mm. bringing it back in and, and, and realizing how great it is. And it really focuses a lot more on the cards where Caverna really focuses a lot more on your on your own player board. You have, you know, your left side, which is your, your agriculture and, and your animals, and the right side, you're doing this intricate cave work and, and building all these different buildings, which is much like the cards. But it, I don't know, it just gives you this totally different feel. And at first, I really thought that it was one against the other, and I really feel as though they are two very different games. Um, can I ask what the expansion adds, or are we not allowed to talk about alphas? Oh no, the, the expan- there's one expansion that's already out. Gives you all sorts of different. Yes, uh, the different weird fantasy races. Fantasy, and then there's one. The second, the second one that's coming out is going to be like orcs. The, they're going to be attacking. I, they haven't put out much information. Oh, the on same though. orcs from um, oh, what's the what's the game we were just talking about? The dice uh, cooperative. You have to dig a tunnel, but you don't want to. <laughs> well, maybe it could be Siege of Runda. Siege of Runda. I think all. The, I think it is a bit of a racist implication to say that all the orcs know each other. Quince. Oh yes, no, that's fair. <laughs> but no, I quite liked because oh, yeah, it always felt like a thin and underbaked aspect of Caverna that you say, and you can go on adventures, and then but it's like you walk off screen and come back with a goat. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's it's more like going to a cafe. You're given a menu, and it's like. <laughs> What would yeah. you like from your adventure? It's like, ooh, I think I'm in my adventure I'd like a cow and a ruby. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. They look you up. It's like, oh, you, you've been here before. <laughs> no. Oh, uh, you're, you're level eight this week. Oh, we can offer you the specials. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm very ready to uh, to have some orcs uh, attack me, so to speak. Yeah. And, <laughs> and do tell. <laughs> First expansion is very interesting too. Just the rule book. It's very much like a, a space space alert or a, or dungeon lords, where it's like. You know, we don't talk about dwarves anymore. You know, it's very, oh, very right. tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> right, 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 yeah. right, right. And that is Caverna. The only other thing I want to talk about is uh, Master Word, which spontaneously oh, yeah. arrived in my bag <laughs> somehow. Uh, some of you are probably familiar with Master Word here at this con. Uh, this was uh, designed by uh, Gerard Catsiot and the uh, Scorpion Masqué. And <laughs> so many people just <laughs> mark their bingo sheets. <laughs> what I've learned in this business is that you have to give the people what they want. Yes. And uh, what they want is my Montreal Anglo-accented French. <laughs> or at least I think that's what they want, but then again, most people don't seem to like what I give them. Anyhow. Oh, I was just going to say, we know what they want, because half the people left at the beginning when we weren't giving out snack cakes. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do the same bit over and over for more than like seven years, Walker. Oh, anyway. Oh. So Masterword is a very interesting intersection of the word party game and Mastermind. Mastermind, of course, has kind of sort of, I feel like this is its moment, what with Wordle having peaked in popularity and now kind mm. of waning into the background. This is yet another intersection of wordplay and Mastermind, very much like Wordle is, except pulling on different levers in different ways. It was published two years ago, but I can't help but think that people who really, really like Wordle might have something to like in Masterword. I despise Mastermind, and I hate Wordle, so Mastermind... <laughs> Masterword for me was... Uh, it, like The moment I understood the intersection, I'm like, oh, this is fascinating. Can I leave now? And <laughs> we, we, we played a game, and it was 
it was alright. It had the structure of word party games that I fundamentally dislike. One person sits there doing next to nothing because they're the clue giver, and everyone else gets to collaborate and actually play what feels like a game. And at least in code names or something like that, there's active agency on the part of the clue giver. They have to be clever about coming up with clues. In Master, what I think the primary structural deficit of the game is that the clue, clue giver pretty much does nothing. There's a bit in the rule book about how the clue giver should be conscious about playing to the table rather than to the truth. So if the table is under the false impression that something is true, the clue giver should play along. Aside from that, they have no agency. And <laughs> that, that's not, a, that's not a, a nothing. Like figuring out if all your friends are wrong and then playing along with their, with their fallacies is occasionally entertaining, making no mention of my friend and co-host Michael Walker. But ultimately, I didn't think that it was enough agency for the player. And so by all means, when there are so many excellent word games, whether you're a Decrypto fan, which I'm not, but it's definitely there, uh, and also my Scorpion Muskie for what it's worth, whether it's just one code name, I mean, you're spoiled for choice where everyone gets to play all the time, yeah. both to give clues and to get clues. And so a bit of a throwback to I'm kind of the game master was a bit unfortunate. But that having been said, the way that it marries these logic mechanisms to the to the clue giving experience was kind of cute. cute. Mark, I feel like I know the answer to this, but do you not ever, when you're playing a board game, relish the opportunity to not to just be there with people and be part of the game, but to not make decisions. Because that describes at least 25% of my board game nights. I'm like, probably less than 25%. But sometimes, like, in a situation like Mysterium, I love being the center of attention, but with none of the pressure to actually act. You know, like, it's, no, this doesn't sound... Uh, Here, here's the problem. In a context where, I, I fully respect that there are people who love having that role. Mm. But in a context where... They exert little to no agency, which al already removes Mysterium, yep. and are not allowed really to speak and engage with the goings-on of what's <laughs> happening at the table. No, seriously. Like, if I, I love watching some games. I would love watching a game of Citadel Confluence. I love watching games of Codenames. We're going to be talking about a game later on called Pueblo, which I think is one of the best spectator sports in all of board gaming because you watch people agonize over every turn. I love doing those things. But I don't think it's fair by implication, I don't know if this was your intentional implication, that I'm some sort of antisocial lunatic because I want agency in my board games. Because <laughs> when you put somebody in a role like this, you're not only stripping them of agency, you're stripping them of the social camaraderie that exists in a lot of these games anyway because they're sitting apart and they can't talk. Yes. And that's the dynamic that I don't like. Have I have I redeemed myself in your eyes at least somewhat? I just wanted to know what you'd say. <laughs> <laughs> it's all just a test, isn't it, Dad? I mean, Quincy. <laughs> Those are the games we played this week. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Now, on to the news and why it does not matter. Oh, God, we need another terraforming game. (laughs) It is about that time, yeah. This time with dice. Wow. Dice and terraforming Mars. So excited. Next. (laughs) (laughs) What is kind of exciting? We all like this person named Reiner Knizia and a new, it's called. Are you about to make up a word walker? I I am. Okay. (laughs) Hanung. Huang, I think. Huang. Huang. That's how it's spelled. That's it. No, that's how I... If I anybody knows it. the pronunciation, it's, please speak up. And it, this is uh, a reprint of a game that was put out by Grail Games. And it's a very much very much like uh, Tigris and Euphrates. They just mixed up the rules a little bit. And now it's going to be uh, republished. And it, of course... Oh, like... Um, what was that one? It was Yellow and Yangtze. This, this, is, Yellow, this, yeah. this <laughs> is the reprint of Yellow and Yangtze. Oh, okay. And of course it needs miniatures, Queens. Because every Wait, it had miniature pagodas before. No, they plastic did. figures. Oh, instead of hexagons? Okay, you know, you know how when you're playing Yellow and Yangtze or Tigers and Euphrates, sometimes it can get a little bit difficult to parse the board state because you have to coordinate the color of leaders with the faction Oh, players? yes, absolutely. What if we made that ten times more difficult by replacing the easy iconography of the leaders with poses and sculpts? Uh... So this is the red-based person po- standing like this. This is the red-based person standing slightly differently, oh, and that represents the two different player colors. Okay. Thank you, Kickstarter and Phalanx. That's exactly what we needed. <laughs> No, look, I think we've been very, very clear, despite our recent increased emphasis on sustainability and and, and trying to reduce our footprint about a lot of things, we are very much pro-mini here at at So Very Wrong About Games, when it is appropriate. And there are some people who assert, falsely, I think, that miniatures always detract from the usability of a game. And I resent that Phalanx is giving them ammunition. (laughs) Phalanx productions do tend to be very nice. Their their production of, of Successors 4th Edition does look very cool. Not that anyone will play it with me. Quinn, do you have any news for us? <laughs> uh, I'm quite hungry. <laughs> roll better next time. <laughs> I didn't actually roll it. You did. You threw it and it landed on a six. You were the one who said you just rolled a six. Therefore, I, I mean, by the rules of the game. Okay. There are rules in life, Quinn's. You can't just run around going whatever you do, doing you feel like. That's literally what this convention is for. Precisely. Okay. Rules. <laughs> I'm glad we agree. Temple of Horrors. Showed you this game. Dungeon uh, yes. crawler with a dexterity component. So you're moving around the dungeon as per usual. You're upgrading your, your character. You're doing the regular dungeon delving things. Then it's time to fight. You get to flick cubes up this shuffleboard type thing. And it's going to be great. All in. <laughs> right from the beginning. Don't care about anything else. You give me a dungeon crawler with a dexterity component. Yeah, this, this is going to be great. This goes beyond Dungeon Fighter. Dungeon Fighter being just uh, nominally a dungeon crawler, but you're throwing I dice on it. I was about to mention Dungeon Fighter, because I, yeah. I, I like, uh, rough show of hands, who in this room has played Dungeon Fighter? Okay, very famous Czech Games edition. Just like, it's, it's, it was everywhere when Shadow of the Down started. People would talk about Dungeon Fighter. Oh, it's great. You throw cubes from like under the table or over your friend's shoulder. And then I was like, that sounds fun. And it's the hardest game. It's, in, it's, it's brutally difficult. It's monumentally, it's like an Olympic event. Yes. 
Which felt like a game with the cartoons on all the art assets. You're like, this will be fun. No. Right. It's the kind of game where even the base execution is frighteningly difficult. And then they start adding modifiers and it becomes impossible. It's ridiculous. I'm yeah. vaguely curious about the second edition to see if they've made it a little more approachable, but I, I don't I know. I think that's the one shut up as an looked at. It was still just a. Oh, okay. Well, difficult. so much for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, the, the, Walker was showing me the Kickstarter and it was Vera Pinlow and it was uh, bog standard dungeon crawling. I'm like, why are you showing this to me, Walker? And then he shows me this video of someone flicking a cube across this little track. I'm like, yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay, it does go to the level of Steel Team Flicks, where they have a dexterity. Nothing does. Well, it has a dexterity. It's the only game that matters. Dexterity game in a dexterity game. Right. right? Where you can take the sniper, and you, you leave your dexterity game, and you go over to this other dexterity oh, game. Oh, yeah. Yes. you get to do even more flicking. Yo, dog, I heard you like flicking. Yeah, yo, dog. <laughs> and that is the Temple of Horrors. That's all I got. Hey, Dan, things on a downer, but this is actually something we care about uh, a great deal here at So Very Wrong About Games. This is October. October is the month of Arkhipov Day. On October 27, 1962, so this is the 60th anniversary of Vasily Arkhipov saving the entire world by refusing to follow an order to launch a nuclear weapon. I hate the fact that this year it's actually pressingly relevant given current events. I always think it matters because it's fundamentally to to me a day about recognizing power and what people with power have a responsibility to to do and acknowledging the fact that small-c conservatism, like the kind of small-c conservatism that is very prevalent in this country, can lead to perpetuation of horrors like we had to commemorate yesterday in the Day of Truth and Reconciliation. And in the context of armed conflict or even just governmental action, I think it's important to acknowledge that we all wield considerable influence over our own little petty domains, some of them grander than others. But if we could remember that on October 27th, a man named Vasily Arkhipov saved the entire world, I think the man deserves a statue of him in every city in the world. But until then, he can just have a joker like me talk about how important his life was. That is the news and why sometimes it very much matters. (laughs) So our topic this week is going to be about games that make you be mean. And so we turn to the cruelest person on the panel. Quinns, what are your thoughts on this? Oh, my goodness. Honestly, uh, I... It's a tightrope, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure we're going to get into it, get into this topic in a lot more nuance. But um, I think so, out of the gate, I'm immediately interested in um, the incredibly fine art of games that make players do cruel things to each other and how that sometimes that is genuinely the result of that that results in maybe some of the greatest board game nights i have ever played absolutely and some of the absolute worst most unpleasant like incorrigible uh, experiences in the world um and, and sometimes both um <laughs> as as evidenced in uh, honestly when you asked about neem games i i wanted to mention one game that i think everyone in this room should play despite uh, all the warnings attached which is the estates uh, which was uh, Neuer Heimat, I believe, in German yes. uh, previously, before being republished in a beautiful edition by Capstone Games. Um, the mayor wants you to build two streets. Uh, however, the board has uh, three streets available, um, and when two of those streets are finished... Oh my god, okay, wait, no, let me get this exactly right. <laughs> um, I won't get into a big, long explanation, but the point is, players take turns to auction pieces like bits of buildings, like the apartment blocks you're building, or r- things that extend the road, or visits from the mayor, which doubles whether a street, what a street is worth at the end. Streets that are unfinished at the end of the game are entirely negative points to the players who contributed to them. Streets that are finished are positive points, which means it is entirely possible, based on the auctions and the cruelty of players, for players to... Oh, players do not finish any streets whatsoever which means the person who interacted with the game the least is the winner um but every turn on your turn you will pick you pick a piece to auction and 
Almost always that means choosing a piece to auction that you know no one around the table wants to even pay for or must pay for. It's like, you know the, um, uh, uh, I'll have a feeling this might be a problematic term now, but the, you know the Chinese finger trap thing or like a, uh, the, something that you, it's amazing to play an economic game where every move you make gets you caught in an unbelievable thorn. It, like, it's a weird economic zigzag. Where you wish you could pass, and because because precisely it, it's it's like the sentiment. Although this isn't about cruelty, it's like the sentiment I have often playing a Reiner Knizia card game. In most Reiner Knizia card games, you wish you could pass. Mm. Lost Cities, uh, Shot and Totten, even uh, Colossal Arena or Equinoxes has been republished. You wish you could pass because the tempo's against you, and committing is a mistake. <laughs> Unlike real life. Uh, so yeah, the Estates is exactly the same way. Every move feels like it's bad. Yeah. At least in the Estates, though, I don't know if this has been true in your playings there's a certain sense of shared camaraderie and that yes, the game is making you suffer not necessarily so much the other players it's it's a perfect um every i think such a huge part of it is everyone is suffering equally i suppose that is a huge key in in whether this works it's like so when we're talking about games that make you be mean so often if that is in any way unevenly distributed right then the game is is horrific but i suppose if everyone is suffering equally then that makes it work well where do you two land on this subject well i just want to, I just want to make one thing clear about the estates is when you said there's penalties for not finishing the street sometimes it's just like oh you didn't finish the street it's minus two yeah it's, it's, the, it's the full points that you would have got for the street that you built negative it's not yeah it's it's even yeah good job committing punishment. sucker yeah <laughs> and it also has this closed economy where everyone gets oh yeah everyone yeah, has yeah, the yeah, money yeah. divided out at the beginning of the game and that is the money it's closed economy they just shift around someone can like focus all the money to themselves yes sorry to no no of course no, it, honestly we, we could easily spend 25 minutes just talking about the estate yes and and again i think that it's weird you talked about how it, it, it's there's some element of player cruelty. I can't remember ever blaming any other player at the, at the estates because I feel more like there's this sense of Stockholm syndrome. We all just are hating the game more than any other player. No, no, my it's, friends definitely hate one another. Oh, really? <laughs> well, there's a select. It's it's you want it's the the worst thing about the estates is it's not like a piece comes out and you auction it, which would make it fine. Right. It's that you are given a choice of usually about six or seven different pieces to choose, That's and true. inevitably you will always, always, always choose the piece. That your friend, uh, because your friends, uh, you, oh God, we're going to get stuck into the rules, so let's not talk about this anymore. But. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it reminds me a bit of a lot of Cube Rails games. For those of you that played Cube, Cube Rails games, sometimes the most aggressive thing you can do is just offer a share of stock up for auction. And when the player who previously controlled that that railroad starts swearing at you in five different languages, you know you've done something good. <laughs> like, this is particularly true of Chicago Express or indeed any Cube Rails game. Just, just offer something up for auction. They'll hate you forever. It's... What I'm thinking is that the notion of being mean is sometimes it's confused with just player interaction. Some mm. people are a lot more interested into playing games that are more friendly or yeah. more co-op or more party games. And when they're when they're introduced to these types of games, it it's just a you know it's they feel it's being mean when it's really just the interaction of the game as it's supposed to be. Speaking personally, the thing that gets me angry, and I have, I have a very bad temper, and I have to acknowledge this, and I, I have to be better at accepting these things in the context of game arbitrariness. Gets under my skin. Yes. Right? And that's when it seems cruel. To, uh, cruel, Because if someone advances their own self-interest at my expense, that doesn't strike me as cruelty, and I'm usually able to take it in stride. But if somebody makes my life miserable for no apparent reason, Walker, then I sometimes, <laughs> I, I sometimes get a little bit resentful. So another example of a game that's just relentlessly mean, but I personally have never seen anyone have negative feelings towards each other, is Pueblo. Pueblo's getting reprinted. Pueblo's a, a, a wonderful little minimalistic game where every turn is bad. 
<laughs> points are bad. I do love those. Yeah. Points are bad. Taking your turn is bad. Everything is bad. Nobody is having a good turn. A good turn is one in which nothing bad happens to you. If you get through the day without something miserable happens, great. That's a great turn in Pueblo. And it's one of the reasons why I think it's a fabulous spectator sport. Because the sense of schadenfreude is very potent if you're outside the system. But if you're inside the system, the sense of shared suffering is such that nobody really resents other players. Again, in my experience. Similarly, uh, we, we talked about Jim Felly before. He's got a couple of great take-that card games called Bemused and Endure the Lesser Houses, a game in which your entire turn is pick a player and make them suffer. But in the entirety of my experience with these games, I've seen zero resentment because that's your turn. It's your job. It's what you're doing. Yeah. The game is making you be mean. It's not arbitrary, and everyone's able to laugh and have fun, generally speaking. Some groups, I'm sure it wouldn't work that way. So if there's shared suffering, if that's all you're doing, if it's not arbitrary, these, I think, are a great way to make a mean game feel less mean. Yeah, I th- I, I'm thinking now about um, the contrast between games like, say, uh, Twilight Imperium and then something like Kemet or Cthulhu Wars. Exactly. The different, like Because in Twilight Imperium... You build up to these attacks, and then who you attack defines the entire game. Players can get hurt feelings for hours on end. Whereas, uh, uh, you mean for a turn or two? Uh, depend, no, my group is uh, <laughs> my, I, I, my whole ill, ill-fated strategy in Twilight Imperium is like if you attack me, I will tell players their face. If you do go over this border, I will. I, I know myself. I will be so upset. <laughs> I will spend the next three hours giving up on the win and just going after you. Are are you that guy? Because I was about to ask you, do you have a person in your group that if you attack them at the beginning, they'll spend their whole game getting back at you for that one Mm. minor attack in the first turn? Yes. I'll do you you one better. My friends, Woogie and Josephus would have these incredible arguments about how legitimate it was to hold something against a player that they had done to them last week in a different game entirely. Yes, yes, 100%. (laughs) Um, but that no, gets fraught. Uh, just to finish the point I was making, Sorry. The, the, the thing about Cthulhu Wars and Kemet, though, is because all players are encouraged to attack all the time, then suddenly it just becomes the ecosystem you exist in and, and, it, and it becomes more gentle. But we mentioned Take That Card Games earlier. I, I, you've sort of helped me crystallize a thought in my head, which is the amount, it seems like it, it's a very common thing in a board game, and I think it is a failure almost every time when a player is in a Take That Card Game play, using some power or some card, and you have to pick a target for it, and the player suddenly, there's no, if you do not have an immediate, it's going to be you. Right. That decision sucks for everybody. They're I like, agree with you. Terraforming Mars does have problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, look, Terraforming Mars, Ark Nova, the, you, you don't really know who's in the lead. They haven't really done anything to you, so you can't really, it's like, okay, pick somebody to suffer a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, yeah. It, and it sometimes it's like, well, you made that person suffer, so now it's your time to suffer. So right. That, so yeah. making you all like weird emotional accountants is <laughs> like, like that is, that yeah. is, that is just, I think, bad. And I like, agree. Considering that it's bad, it's crazy how common it is in so many games. Yeah. Like you said, allowing the, the table to sort of influence your decision, mm. like going along to each player and, and sort of making a decision, and, and then and not like you said, not doing it immediately, saying I'm playing this card and it's you. Yeah, and it's much better that way. I agree. Um, I also uh, just in terms of examples that I want. To, oh, you've got Dogs of War written down there. That is a great. <laughs> oh, yeah. Should we talk? And never mind the game. I was going to talk about. I was going to talk about Dead Last, but I think I'd rather talk about Paolo Mori. Oh, is that? <laughs> <on your screen? laughs> oh, um, oh, okay. Uh, well, what, what should we talk about? I, I just, no, no, let's. No, I, I'm always happy to talk about Dogs of War. Okay, yeah. Paolo Mori's Dogs of War. I mean, 
hey, how good is Palomori, by the way? Palomori is brilliant. <laughs> like the fact that all of his games are like so different as well, yes. which is that's my favorite thing to see in a designer. But yes, if people haven't played. Um, would would one of you two like to describe uh, Dogs of War to the people who haven't played it? Uh, Dogs of War is uh, kind of a combination worker placement tug of war game where you're sending out mercenary captains to influence these various fights. I also love the, how cynical the entire theme is. Yeah. The, the theme is, is that there are these six great houses. They fight each other all the time, always to a standstill. They never <laughs> are able to win against each other. That's where the mercenaries come in. They have to tip the scales of battle. Yeah. That part I love. The, the idea that it's just this eternal, pointless warfare. Yeah, so the, the, the main thing to know is that like players... On, it's, it's like that thing you described with the Renek Nitsia card games. It's like, on your turn, you have to dispatch mercenaries to a battle. So there's like always three battles. You have to send your... Okay, maybe I'll send a couple of captains to support this side of the other battle. The points you get in Dogs of War are from winning fights based on how many other players were on the other side. So the moment you go like, um, okay, I'll join this fight, you've sent them to all the other players... You'll get victory points if you join the other side and right. beat me. So it's just this horrific thing as you go around the table of like, okay, I'll send some captains to this fight. Um, and then uh, it becomes all the players in sequence go, oh, I'll join the other side. Oh, I'll join the other side. Oh, and you go, oh, no. The, the, wor- the worst part is then there are lovely opportunities for double cross because in some instances you can actually support both sides and win regardless of who wins. Mm. That usually requires a special power card. And then, of course, there's the incredibly dastardly just filling up the spots so people can't get in where they want to yes. go. <laughs> and that determines the course of the battle. It's like, oh, I'm on this side, but I actually want them to lose. So I'm just going to show up and... Uh, I think I'll arm my guys with a toothpick and they'll show up there. And the person sitting there with a war machine being like, no, I wanted to go there. So do, do we think Dogs of War is a good or bad example of a game that makes you be mean? I actually don't really view it as necessarily being mean to the other players, though. It just seems like straightforward comp. In, in, in a way, it blunts the sense of aggression because nominally you're beating up on these anonymous houses anyway. And we've already established that those anonymous houses are jerks. Sure. The framing matters a lot, distance. I think. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's much like a, a blood rage and what you said before. You're doing it turn one over and over again so and it's everybody's mixed in so it's part of the game so yeah 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 opaque information infrequent conflict poor decision making for directed spite these are the things that i think can really contribute to a sense of being mean yes um so i did i know i didn't mean to you know jump on your stuff walker but uh but dead last i think if people haven't played that that's by smoke and dagger that is uh, <laughs> my my favorite trivia about Dead Last is uh, quite divisive. Um, it's a party game that is loathed by the creator of Two Rooms and a Boom more than any. Like I've never really? seen Alan Girding be so like. Yeah, because he's a psychologist. He just wants everyone to have a good time, and just it's so <laughs> antithetical to that because Dead Last is basically quite literally picking on someone. The game. Yes. Um, you are all criminals who are trying to. Um, it's like there's been a heist. You all have money, but in a kind of tontine situation, only one of you left standing will get it. Everyone, everyone has a, everyone, every player is a color. Everyone has a hand of cards with every other color of player. And then you all choose the color of card that your color of player you're going to attack. You reveal. And the, and so it's kind of like you have to consensusly decide which of you is going to die by talking or gesturing at colors around the room <laughs> or t- say, the manual actually says if someone goes to the bathroom, that's a great time to decide <laughs> yes. to kill them. <laughs> Um, but the thing that's great about Dead Last that I think gives it such a release valve is everyone also has a card. I think this is so, this is a really good example of how to make a mean game sing because in your card you have, in your hand of cards you have an ambush card, which if you believe something mean is going to happen to you, if you reveal the ambush card, all the players who went to kill you die instead. However, if you play the ambush card and players want out to get you, you kill yourself. <laughs> which is masterful. Just to have like, do you think you're being bullied? Okay, go on, play the card. Have you played John Perry's Scapegoat? Uh, oh no, but I have heard about Scapegoat this. is very similar structurally. It's, it's, you know, the social deduction. Oh no, yes, I have played this. This is where, um, you're all trying to pass cards around to try and kill a goat. 
well, kind of. Uh, it's 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 after a crime, and yes, no, one person has been designated yeah. as a patsy, and you need to collaborate to send the, to to send this person to jail. Yeah. Uh, but if they figure out what's going on, if they figure out that they're the patsy, then they can spring the trap yeah. prematurely. Yeah. And uh, it, to me, it's a social deduction game for people who don't like social deduction games because it's all about card play and you. you the, yeah, the yeah, talking yeah. is all very yeah, sort of minimal best. talking and just a lot of incredible exactly. Paranoia. So for people who 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 make false allegations about bullying, mention no one in particular, <laughs> I tend to take to it a lot better. But structurally, it's very. I, I had forgotten how structurally similar it is to Dead Last mm. in that way. Dead Last and other games like Lifeboat are much like that too. And, oh goodness! Oh wow! And, uh, That's a blast from the past. Yeah, and oh. uh, the, the is it Last Night on Earth? That zombie game that there's another zombie game where you just have to run faster than the other player. <laughs> well, tons of zombie games are like that. Well, there's Mall of there's Mall of Horror and City. Oh, Horror Mall of Horror! Yeah. They're constantly one, voting yeah. on who to throw to the zombies. Yeah, Mall of Horror yeah. republished by Reproductions as City of Horror. Yes, yeah. yes, which has the yeah. That's a terrific negotiation. I really like deciding City of Horror, who yeah. to feed through a window to the zombies. Absolutely. <laughs> and yeah. then like the bizarre thing of just negotiate the weird double layer negotiation of feeding people to the zombies, but also you can own that you aren't killed when the military finally arrive at the end and save whoever's left. Yes, you need the vaccines to prove. I've got a vaccines that don't. Kill me but then those vaccines are also being traded by players yes as a, if you do not have enough stores of, stores of vaccine they will leave you behind precisely yeah. <laughs> yeah. what's weird though is that I, I just want to think of, of one game where there is so much bullying but again I haven't seen anyone take it personally and that's Cockroach Poker Cockroach Poker to me is a game of bullying in the most sublime <laughs> way possible there's only going to be one loser and everyone else wins and so when you start seeing that someone's about the threshold the entire table without having to coordinate anything is like alright we got to bring this person down quick because <laughs> otherwise okay. it could be one of us so why is why does Cockroach Poker not feel cruel? That's an excellent question, and I wish you would answer it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it's... Because you're having so much fun. <laughs> it's just too fun. Yeah. yeah. It's just too fun. I suppose. And again, it is kind of a bit like on your turn in Cockroach Poker, poker you, it, very much like Dour or Bemused or some of the other better take-that-card games. You do have to force somebody to try to suffer, so I guess that takes some of the edge off. Mm-hmm. But past that, I couldn't speculate. It's just, it works. All right, so the best way to force players to be mean... You have a pie that's six pieces, but you need four to win. Why would they use pie? Pie is the best. You'd never use cookies in this situation. Cookies are awful. Pie is the best. So games like Diplomacy and Game of Thrones, where there's castles out there. Everyone has castles, but you have to have so many to win. You must attack. You have no choice. Game is forcing you to make alliances and break those alliances because you have no choice. But why do people get so bent out of shape after their playings of those games? Because then? everyone likes to imagine that it won't happen to them. <laughs> everyone likes to imagine when they sit down to play diplomacy, it's like, obviously, I'm not going to be the person who everyone gangs up Well, on. I think you were right in the first instance, though. I think it's about the pacing. There, mm. there, there, there's enough action in a game of Kemet. There's enough transactional fights yeah. in games of that where you, you can't really take it too seriously. Like, oh, yeah, that fight made sense for you. Let's move on. Yeah. As opposed to diplomacy and Game of Thrones where it tends to pivot around a couple of very, very crucial betrayals or alliances or what happened. You know, so you have enough time to stew on it. I guess that has a lot to do with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's also interesting that, in, I mean, this is a weird edge thing, but Inish, within the theme of Inish, there's, um, it says specifically at the end of the game, if there's a tie, you all decide uh, you know, you can decide who the winner is, but within the theme of the game, and I, this hasn't worked for other groups I've talked to, but um, there's a lot of like, I don't want, you want the person to be king who was the least cruel on their way up. Right. So it's a game of standing on people's heads, but ultimately whoever stands on the least heads on the way up the ladder, who makes the most friends that can swing the uh, victory, which does, for my group, change the tenor of the game sometimes. All right. Well, I believe we're running out of time. Food chain magnet. <laughs> <laughs> Food Take Man is a fantastically mean game. 
You get all your advertising set up. You get your whole industry yes. set up. I am going to rule this town with restaurants. And this guy over here, this person, says, oh, everyone really likes lemonade. <laughs> and so, and, but I don't have any lemonade. <laughs> I've made all this pizza and burgers, and now it just gets wasted. Have you played the expansion for Fujo Magnet? Yes. The coffee module? Yes. Which is like, I, it, it's so phenomenally awful. Like, it's, Yeah, there's a lot going on there. It's, uh, Lucy, it's not only now are you trying to, like, if your friend is fulfilling food, you can, people will always buy coffee as many times as they pass coffee shops on the way to getting the food from the restaurant. Yes. Which means you can be just, if you just, just generating ludicrous money from $18 cups of coffee <laughs> while they're selling $4 noodles or whatever. It's How it's, incredibly unrealistic. I know. Yeah. No, you know what, that, that, sorry. What I, what I love about the cruelty and food chain magnet is, the, is literally co-opting someone else's infrastructure. Yes. They've laboriously built up this advertising infrastructure and it's like, oh, well, advertising just belongs to the ether. I can take that. <laughs> Last but not least, I'd be remiss not to mention Hansa Teutonica. Is it it wrong to want people to be mean to you? Because in Hansa Teutonica, you're blocking paths on purpose, so you get kicked out, and that's a benefit. So is that asking people to be mean, or is that just... Hansa Teutonica is fabulous. You want to get in people's way, and you want to annoy people, but again, it's got that release valve, because if you make a route too annoying... If you put a merchant suit and people just go, people can always say, you know what? No, <laughs> right. no, I don't have to go through here. It's like an escalating bidding of meanness and someone finally just walks away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that leaves the bullies like standing. They, they're playing alone by themselves. It's, uh, yeah. So again, uh, Hans and Jonica really, that's a lovely example. A lovely, lovely one to end on. What a game. Greatest game of all time. No, that's very good. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Well, with that, thank you very, very much for joining us. This has been So Very Wrong About Games and also Quinton Smith. A round of applause for Quinton Smith, please. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a joy and a pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for joining us. You'll be seeing us around the con. Please do enjoy the rest of of the convention. Please be kind to the Paragons and give them a kind word for all their hard work because they've been truly exceptional. Thank you again for your time, and we hope to see you around. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> You've been listening to So Very Wrong About Games, produced by Michael Walker and edited by Mark Bigney. Special thanks goes to What Does It Eat for generously allowing us to use their most excellent song, FOS, as our theme. You can find them at whatdoesiteat.com. You can reach us by email at soverywrongaboutgames at gmail.com or on Twitter at sowronggames. Thanks very much. See you next time. And always, try to be right, but remember you are so very wrong. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.